sister of one of my best friends and also went to my high school. She was a few years ahead of me. Um, I really, really wanted to talk to Elise because she has such a great connection to Italian culture and Italian food culture and um, even just things like she's worked on a sustainable farm. Um, And so I think Talking to her was just such a great experience, and I learned a lot, Um, and even though this interview took place a while ago, I've definitely taken what she said to heart and have really incorporated a lot of her tips and tricks that you'll hear into what I'm actually doing for the Sapper Club. Um, So without further ado, (laughs) here's my interview with Elise. So I became interested in Italy in high school. I was lucky enough to go on a trip, um, which a component of it was focused on Italian cuisine. That was my senior seminar at our high school, which was awesome. So I got to be in Italy and then also learn a lot about the regional cuisine of Italy, even as a high schooler. Um, That was sort of my introduction and it was like, you know, being bit by a bug that you're just like, all of a sudden, that's all you care about. <laughs> um, and then I, in college, I ended up majoring in Italian and studied abroad in Italy twice and then worked for an Italian-American collection at a history museum before going back to grad school um, to study Italian studies. And I focused on Italian gastronomic history. Wow. That's perfect for this uh, interview. Um, so tell me a little bit about if you have any Italian heritage in your family or if you grew up eating, um, Yeah, so my mom's father was Italian and unfortunately he passed away before I was born. So that was sort of another part of why I chose to study Italian was this like attempt to sort of like connect to a lost cultural patrimony or something like that, you know, try and like connect with ancestors who I didn't really have any direct connection with um but then since studying Italian and then also studying Italian Americans I've learned like a lot of ways that that side of my family is really Italian like my grandfather um had a vineyard and raised grew grapes and made wine he was a pretty accomplished vintner and he was a big gardener which is very typical of Italians and they did a lot of entertaining with um sort of like you know like you talk about in your website, that joy of hosting people and the extreme happiness, that was sort of what definitely my grandmother, who I knew, and what they, she and her husband like to do together. So, um, If you have some time, I'd like to briefly go over my menu with you, which I've des- discussed with you before. Um, and then I was hoping you could give me any thoughts, tips, tricks, 
um, that you have. Um, so the first course is going to be a Salumi and Formaggi board. Um, I've decided on a couple of cured meats. One is going to be bruschola. I'm not pronouncing any of these right. And one is going to be Genoa salami, but I'm still having trouble deciding what is going to be the third. Um, and then my cheeses, I think I have narrowed it down, but let me know if you think it represents a good array of cheeses in both Italian food culture and also in texture. So I am thinking of Taleggio, Gorgonzola, um, Piave, and some kind of flavored pecorino. Yeah, community. that sounds great. Um, definitely, I think it's a good representation of Italian um, cheeses, just because you have, you know, the Gorgonzola and the Taleggio are more northern Italian, and then the pecorino is more Roman or even Sardinian pecorino is very famous, and the Piave is one of my personal favorites. And that's a good mix of... Um, aged and fresh cheeses, hard okay. and soft cheeses. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about the lardo. I know right now we're snacking on lardo and crostini, but I actually remembered what I wanted to do with the lardo for my salumi and formaggi board, which was to wrap it around a piece or, or a walnut, a shelled walnut, and drizzle honey on top of it. So let's try that. Yeah. Don't, don't let me forget that. Why not? Um, <laughs> I want to see if it actually tastes good, but I'm also doing on the salumi and formaggi board a little um, thing of, of cherignola. Again, I'm not saying that right. No, All, right. Olives that I've marinated for a couple weeks and very simple olive oil, rosemary, garlic, and with a sprinkle of smoked salt on top when they're served. Yum. Um, the next item on the menu is going to be a trio of crostini. Um, I want to, as much as possible in this menu, make whatever I can from scratch. I, again, I know not all of it makes sense, um, and, and it's a really tall order, but I was wondering your thoughts on how easy it is to make, like, a simple tiny ciabatta roll like this, um, if it's foolproof or if it's easy to mess up? Um, so yeasted breads are not my forte, but they're, um, I would say temperamental. I mean, your apartment's pretty warm. Getting the yeast to rise is always tricky. I mean, not tricky, but that's part of it. Um, in warmer apartments? It's yeah, I mean, trickier. like, for example, when I try and bake in my mother's house in the mm -hmm. winter, it's hard because it's really cold because she doesn't oh. turn the heat on oh, so and then the bread will easier rest. when it's warm when it's warm okay. yeah okay the yeast needs to have like a warm environment in order to rise well right. um it's it's definitely not um hard you can definitely make bread and but I guess for me personally I've never gotten it to the point that I feel like my bread is on par with a bakery's bread <laughs> yeah I guess I have this as a backup whatever we're snacking mm -hmm. on right now I have a couple of uh, loaves of that, but there is a um, the bread recipe that I've had the most luck with was reprinted by Mark Bittman in the New York Times maybe a few years ago at this point, and it's a really, really wet dough that he basically mm -hmm. bakes in a casserole, and that has, um, for me, provided like the best sort of like moist, chewy center with crusty outside. Oh. I often find that 
the breads that I make at home, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, maybe a baker will listen to this and tell me, are um, sort of dry on the inside and not like delicious and chewy the way I want them mm. to be. Well, the toppings for the three crostini are as follows. Um, one is the bacala manticato, which um, I've talked to you about before. I'm really excited about that one. And um, the only thing I have to make sure I can do is to make sure I can find some good quality salted cod somewhere. Um, which I feel like I could do regardless of what time of year it is. Yeah, but actually you're in the right time of year because a lot of Italian-Americans make salt cod as sort of typical Christmas dish oh. for a lot of, especially Southern Italian-Americans. So it's the perfect, you know, winter is a good time to find it. And if you saw it in a store, I mean, you'd have to have like a nasty looking loaf of salt caught around but it will keep forever (laughs) (laughs) like I could just put it in the fridge or keep it out in the pantry you can just keep it out in like yeah in the dark in a paper bag (laughs) um good to know um and so the second crostini is going to be homemade uh, a base layer of homemade ricotta and pesto kind of mixed together um, and then a topping of homemade bocconcini or mozzarella balls, uh, with heirloom tomatoes and maybe some basil. Yeah. Um, super simple, straightforward, um, classic Italian flavors. Uh, the third one is going to be a base layer of some very mild goat cheese. I don't want something tangy for this one. Um, so I need to still find out what a mild goat cheese is. Yeah. Um, then that's going to have prosciutto and figs uh, on top. And I spoke to you before about where to find figs or how to make sure I could do figs at the end of January. Um, and so I'll tell people to read my blog for that one. <laughs> uh, and then topping of balsamic reduction. Yeah. So those are my three crostini. And then um, the next dish I have is uh, anti, I mean, antipasti. Yeah, it is antipasti, which is going to be sarde a becca fico, um, stuffed uh, and rolled sardines. Um, I think you're familiar with this dish. I'd love to hear your take on it. So um, this is a really interesting dish because it sort of combines what I think of as like Middle Eastern influences on Italian cuisine. I know you said you ate it in Venice, but I think it's more traditional in Sicily. And um, it has basically sardines, that fresh sardines that you cut the heads off and gut and basically open them like a book. And then you fill them with toasted breadcrumbs that are mixed with um, uh, dried nuts, uh, dried fruits and nuts, usually pine nuts and raisins, which is where the sort of Middle Eastern flavors mm-hmm. always come into me. And then often orange or lemon zest or orange or lemon juice that they're cooked in. And they're really good combination of sweet and savory, which goes really nicely with, um, sardines and fresh sardines are very, um, they're pretty mild fish. They're not like, not like a tuna or swordfish or anything. So they're, I don't know, delightful little bites. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm really excited about that one. The first bite of that that I had in Venice was just an explosion of, of flavor and goodness that I totally wasn't expecting out yeah. of that tiny roll, so I'm really excited. Yeah, the trick that. with those is to make sure that your breadcrumbs are really well toasted beforehand, because otherwise they tend to get a little bit soggy in mm-hmm. the center of the 
of the roll of yeah, the that's filet. a great trick. I think sardines. you told me to stick them in the oven with some more yeah, olive oil. Yeah, I usually like I have a cast iron dish that I put them in and like toss them with olive oil and put them in a low oven for like even an hour. But you can also, if you don't have much time, you can do it on a higher heat on the stove if you just store it constantly. Okay, good to know. So the next one is also an antipasti. I want to do, I've never cooked octopus before, so I want to do kind of an octopus braised in red wine and baked in a tomato stew with simple things like garlic, basic herbs, capers, olives, and at the end um, put some uh, dollops of vinduya on top. Um, I was hoping you could give me some advice on how to prepare octopus. So the first thing about octopus, and this is all based on, you know, scouring lots of things on the internet, (laughs) is that um, a lot of places will tell you, and I've generally found it to be true, that if you're not going to get octopus, like, direct from the fisherman at the seashore, it is almost tender if it's frozen. Mm. Um, So, and a lot of, most octopus that you'll find is at least, previously frozen so something about freezing it helps tenderize it um and then the other thing about octopus is that it shrinks pretty significantly when you when it cooks Mm -hmm. um usually it's boiled and I usually boil it and then grill it but you could boil it and then roast it um uh Italians often boil octopus in like equal parts wine and water like two parts wine to one part water and I usually throw in a couple bay leaves and then Never have I found an explanation for why this is, but Italians will tell you that you need to put a wine cork in the water while you boil it, which will Mm -hmm. also help tenderize the octopus. I think it might be like an old wives' tale, (laughs) but I do it anyway. (laughs) Right, okay. Um, And basically, I think it's really hard to overcook an octopus. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, It's pretty... You can boil it for a long, (laughs) long time. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So basically, you... Uh, boil it in equal parts water and wine mm-hmm. for like an hour. Yeah. And, and red wine will give it, I mean, it's already going to be purple, but red wine mm-hmm. will give it that really luscious purpley color. And then basically it's almost like if you were testing, like if you had, if potatoes were done, you like, if you can, if it like yields to the point of a knife and water, it's done. Oh my gosh. You're giving me such golden <laughs> tips. Thank you so much. So once I boil the octopus, I put it in that sauce of tomato or garlic and kind of bake it just to get it warm. Yeah, I would think like 15 minutes probably. And then dollops of vinduya. Yeah. Okay. And a drizzle of olive oil. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So the next course is um, pasta. And I want to make artichoke and ravioli pasta um I think the the question I'm still debating is how I want to top the ravioli I think the reason why I added this dish was partially because I was trying to find a way I could put cacio e pepe on the plate but I don't think that kind of topping necessarily translates to an artichoke so I'd like to hear your thoughts on what's kind of like a basic uh, cheese and 
you know, cheesy sauce I could put that's similar to cacio e pepe. Yeah, I think um, if you, I wouldn't do cacio e pepe just because the pepper flavor and the parmesan are so strong, you're going to like sort of overpower the delicate flavors of the artichoke and the ricotta, but um, just some melted butter and then like good quality parmesan on top would be sublime. And Can I mix sort of a like, little pecorino in there too? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, you know, those that would be like also like sort of like the essence of a lot. I mean, not all, but a lot of Italian cuisine is really just like focused on the quality of the ingredients, and you don't have to do anything too fancy to it yeah. to make it delicious. Cool. All right. Well, the next one I want to do is garganelli with a duck ragu sauce. Um, I have like a garganelli board. I need to practice still shaping the garganelli. I'm not too concerned with that. Um, and I feel like uh, I could do a duck ragu sauce, even though I've never cooked with duck before. Um, I'm not sweating this one too much. I feel like it would be hard to mess it up, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've made a ragu before, I think you'll be, are you going to do like a like a Tuscan style sort of thing with like juniper and red wine, or are you gonna do it with a tomato sauce sort of? You can't do both wine and tomato. You can sauce. do both red oh, wine okay. and tomato sauce. It would be delicious. Right. I still need to study up. Yeah. The different recipes. Um, and... like a Tuscan one would have tomatoes, but also a lot of red wine, and you would, the tomatoes would like create some of the like consistency of the sauce, but it wouldn't be like a. It's not going to be like a Neapolitan red ragu sauce or like a Southern Italian like, mm-hmm. and then usually they'll put like rosemary and juniper in that sage maybe too. Cool. Um, it's well, a good winter dish. The reason why I'm so glad you're here and that um, I get to interview you is because I have not to date been able to perfect my pasta dough recipe, so. If you could give a super simple highlight of what should go in a pasta dough, what is it? Oh, well. Um, so for garganelli, it's usually... Some pastas don't have eggs. It's just water and flour. Mm-hmm. But garganelli is usually an egg pasta. And then you can do... This is going to be like all of the various <laughs> options. But um, I think that... I'm just guessing here. But I would think garganelli is typically just zero zero flour mm-hmm. and eggs mixed together. And then... You knead it basically until your arms ache and let it sit for 20 minutes in a ball and then roll it out and let it sit a little bit longer and then cut it and then roll it. And the sitting phase helps to um, dry the pasta almost to like a leathery consistency so that the pieces don't like stick to each other as much. You don't want it to dry out so it's like a dry crunchy pasta, but it'll just keep it from mushing and like for the garganelli that letting it dry will keep it so that when you roll those tubes of pasta they don't just collapse on themselves they like keep that sort of cylindrical shape okay good to know all right um so my entree or secondi is gonna be lamb chop uh scotadito um super simple i'm gonna marinate it in uh wow i've been saying super simple a lot um (laughs) I'm going to marinate the lamb in uh, rosemary, garlic, salt, pepper. Keep it straightforward. (laughs) Um, And then 
kind of put it on my cast iron a couple minutes before it's being served. Um, the thing I wanted to kind of put on the same plate is uh, a fava bean puree, maybe with with a topped with just one or two, you know, fava beans that have been blanched and some parsley, um, some uh, parsley garlic flavored olive oil, that kind of stuff. So um, just to get some green on the menu because there's right. no veggies <laughs> in this whole menu. Yeah. Um, that sounds delicious like, and very Roman, which is appropriate. I am a little bit... Are you going to start with fresh favas? Okay. I'm going to get frozen. Yeah, because yeah, fresh favas will be hard to find in January. Um, that sounds awesome. And lamb scope, you, do you know what scopadita means? Um, something about burning your fingers? Yeah, it means, yeah, scopta is, uh, like it burns, and dito is the finger, and they say it's like that because it's so good that you want to eat it when it's too hot to touch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, I'm, I'm excited about this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely salting it up to the day before even will be beneficial to the dish. So salt it and then marinate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let it sit yeah, in the yeah. salt. Okay, cool. Good to know. Thanks. Um, and then I have two dessert courses. One is just going to be classic tiramisu. Nothing fancy or mixed in with that one. Uh, served in individual ramekins. I have Cute. to show you those ramekins. I'm so in love with them. Um, and then the next one is kind of one of the only I items on the menu maybe other than the octopus that I feel like I can say that I came up with myself. Um, it's going to be a raspberry basil sorbetto um, served with slivers of strawberries and white peach that have been soaked in Moscato and Prosecco. Yeah. And <laughs> little, like, piped dollops of limoncello whipped cream and um, I kind of want to roast pistachios in honey maybe a week before and so right before they're served I kind of want to zest them on top oh. uh, just get like a nutty dusting <laughs> sounds awesome uh, I'm excited about that one. yeah that yeah. sounds delicious all right, well, um, I was wondering if you could give me a really quick tip on which items on this menu you think I could pre prepare, like, the day before. I think you gave me a really great tip before on how to prepare pasta ahead of time. Yeah, um, so pasta, if you want to make it ahead of time, freezes well, and the way that I find the best way to freeze it is to make it and sort of lay it out so it's not touching and then on like a cookie sheet and then put the cookie sheet in the freezer and then once the pasta is hard enough that it's not going to stick to each other if you put it in a bag you can collapse it into a bag but um you know fresh pasta if it sits on top of or next to another piece of fresh pasta for a long time they'll like fuse into one thing which is you know you don't want yeah. clumps and clumps of noodles so that's um, definitely a good thing to do in advance. And you can put it um, from the freezer into the boiling water even. You don't even yeah. have to um, thaw them. And that would be the same for the garganelli and the ravioli. Yeah. It would work really well. Okay. Um, any 
anything else like that jumps out at you on the menu that you think I could do the I mean, I think I'm going to do, like, the cheeses and stuff the day before. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Um, and I definitely the fish and octopus I'm doing the day of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lamb I'm marinating in the days before. I think, could I do the duck ragu sauce the day before? I think store? you could do that a day before in store and then just make sure it's nice and hot before yeah. you put the pasta in it. Definitely. Okay, perfect. All right, cool. Yeah. And the tiramisu you have to make the day before. Okay. At least. Um, I might... Hit you up later for a, a good recipe for tiramisu. Yeah. All right. So I want to switch from talking about me <laughs> to talking about you. Right. I want to know, since you're such a great cook, um, and I've loved eating uh, the foods you've made in the past, um, I want to know what gives you joy when you're hosting people and having them over for dinner. Is it the cooking piece or the hosting or both? Um, it's definitely both. I like the cooking piece. It's like a little, I mean, I'm sure you're going through this. It's like a fun game, like in your head to like, I don't know, be constantly thinking of like, Ooh, I could do this and Ooh, I could do that. And it's like fun to like think about and prepare. And even if you don't like for like more casual things, plan it in advance, it's like nice to go to the grocery store and be like, Oh, that looks good. I'll do that. So I, I definitely enjoy the cooking piece, but mostly I like having people over, having everybody around, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I guess, like, sharing food with other people is, like, the most probably ancient way of, like, communicating your love with somebody, you know, like, if you feed somebody, it's, like, a really concrete way to, like, I don't know, express your affection for people, and that's, um, I don't know, nice. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um... Well, can you tell me when you cook, where you get your inspiration from? Is it from learning from people who are around you, reading cookbooks, coming up with things by yourself because you're an amazing genius? (laughs) It's, you know, it's sort of a combination of all those things. I, my mom is a great cook and I was lucky enough to grow up with a mom who made dinner for all of us almost every night. So watching her and learning from her is definitely like the primary influence for me in terms of cooking. And she, um was really good at doing things, both, like, dinner, family dinners and hosting. She's very good at making things feel, like, sort of effortless or not stressing about them, which is, like, a good lesson. So she was definitely an important influence. And then the two other big influences for me have been um, Italian food, obviously, and especially I interned with the kitchen at the American Academy in Rome, and that was a really great... Um, uh, experience, especially learning traditional Roman food and um, cooking and eating seasonally, which sort of ties into my third influence, which is working for a small organic vegetable farm. Um, definitely starting with fresh, local, or if not fresh, lo- the best ingredients you can buy. So sometimes that means fresh and local, and sometimes that means, you know, buying the extra virgin olive oil from the estate in Italy. But starting with really high quality ingredients and then being like, I don't really have to do anything to these things. I just have to, like, assemble them or put them on a plate and they'll taste good, you know. that um, That's a good way to cook <laughs> and a good way to eat. Cool. Um, well, if you can think of one, tell me about a favorite meal memory of yours. A favorite meal memory of mine. Um, let's 
So instantly the things that come to my mind all have to do with cheese, of course. <laughs> um, uh, mozzarella di bufala, which is mm. mozzarella made from water buffalo milk. It's typical of the area around Salerno in Campania, Italy. It's like my favorite food, and I have this memory of um, I, the first time I ever ate it, somebody was like, here, try this, and they just sort of, like, handed me a ball of it, and I just bit into it, and it just, like, dripped all down <laughs> my face. It was, like, kind of, you know, terrible, because you're, like, covered in, like, mozzarella juices, but also, like, so wonderful. <laughs> that sounds like such a great... Yeah, that memory. was really fun. Um, and then, um, other great meal memories I'm trying to think about in Italy in particular. I don't know. You just eat so well. I guess, like, it's not, like, a specific meal memory, but the thing that I like about Italian food and the thing that I think you'll be good at, especially since you're doing a lot of food, is, like, having several courses but having them, you know, like, eating one and then your food doesn't come out for another 15, 20 minutes and you chit-chat and... Maybe half the table gets up and has a cigarette <laughs> for the meal. And you, you know, it's this, like, long, extended enjoyment of not just what you're eating, but each other's company. And, yeah, um, yeah meals like that where they sort of stretch on for three hours is the best way that's to eat. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And that's my goal for this supper club. I really want it to be exactly what you described. Yeah. Well, that's a good place. For us to end. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Um, I really hope you can come up. Me too. Me. I really would be upset about this, this meal. <laughs>